0: hi and welcome to this week's proof sidebar we're here this week with jacinda davis and kevin fitzpatrick to discuss episode 12 of our series on kane's story and lee clark hey guys
1: Susan. hey susan how are you
0: i'm good um, yeah this episode we talked about Angela Bruce, the state's most comprehensive witness who is the only direct source of their theory of this case. They use Angela Bruce at trial to spell out the whole theory about the freebirds and the, you know, the gang revenge killing and the pillow and all that. But we talked to Angela Bruce ourselves and got a very different answer.
1: You know, we took a road trip to find Angela Bruce and we weren't convinced she'd want to talk to us or be willing to talk to us and I remember pulling into her driveway and she stepped outside, you know, even before we really got out of the car and it took a few minutes for her to warm up to us. But when she did, she um, she she seemed like she wanted to get this off her chest.
0: Yeah, it was no shock to me that she be Um Her story seemed false from the first time I read it. And I really was not surprised that she would recant. But I was surprised by some of the specific things she told us about what had happened back then.
2: I remember, sort of, in the whole investigative production process of this show, that you two very early on were so adamant that this woman may hold some of the keys to what actually happened and that you needed to find her. And I think that maybe what doesn't become clear in in the production was how much time and effort you found you spent on actually tracking her down Mm -hmm. and, and sort of driving around to different states looking you know, to try and get her to actually talk. And I remember getting a phone call um, from Jacinda saying that you guys had found her and that it was sort of amazing, sort of an exciting moment.
0: Yeah. Well, she, for one thing, uh, this is true for a lot of people in the case we spoke to, she had no idea that Lee and Kane were still in prison. Like a lot of other witnesses, she assumed they'd been out years ago, been paroled or something, Um, like the jurors too. So she was surprised to learn that they were both still serving life sentences And I think that may have possibly influenced her decision to tell us what really happened.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I mean, like you said, she's not the only one who has said that to us. It seems like were these witnesses deliberately misled into thinking these kids would get a lighter sentence? Who knows? But it feels almost like that's what happened.
0: And when we spoke to her, she also was able to clarify some of the parts of her story that had never made sense before. And it goes back to the something we see again and again in these cases is that most of the time witnesses who are making up stories don't make them up out of whole cloth. Um, it is rare to encounter a witness who makes up a story just from start to finish. What they usually do is what Angela did, which was start with some basic truths and then blend them into a story that fit whatever narrative whatever story she was aiming to have, which explains how Caprice came be part of the story. And how when she told – when the cops apparently came to her and said, we need Caprice to be part of this, this whole story about the confession at your trailer, she talks about the little blue or black car that the blonde girl drove up in. And it seems the element of truth to that is that at some point of this party, a girl named Jessica, um, who was strawberry blonde – not blonde, but sort of a red blonde hair color – did drive up in this car with another blonde girl and possibly picked up Phil's story – Um, who was very drunk, says Angela, and this became the genesis of the Caprice came to get leading in Kane's story. Yeah,
1: you're right. There are, there are elements of truth. There was a party. Phil's story was at the party. Kane was at the party. A blonde or strawberry blonde drove up to the party at some point in a blue black car. Like all of those things seem to be true. So the question is, how does the rest of the story develop from that point, though?
0: With the assistance of the police, it would appear, um, such as the introduction of the pillow to the story. And as Angela told us, she's like, I don't know why a pillow is part of it. It doesn't make any sense to me. But a pillow was part of the story anyway, because the cops seem to have been convinced that a pillow was somehow used, despite the lack of any evidence that that could have been the case.
2: She seemed even now, after all these years, oddly focused on this idea of getting teenagers out of the party, and like minors, which I couldn't quite figure out why she was still so focused on that.
0: So according to Angela, she was um, threatened with criminal charges and threatened that her kids would be taken away as a result of illegal things she had done, which she says involved the presence of underage people at this party, which there were quite a few. Um, her place was kind of the party place where people young teens included, could go and hang out and drink and not have parental figures tell them to stop it.
2: And she was still just so focused on that concept, like saying that she almost suggesting that she hadn't done anything wrong with alcohol and medicine. It's just, it wasn't the lead in the story in my mind, I guess. It was
0: just... But for her, it was the pressure point that was used all those years ago, and she still is focused on it. Yeah. And Angela says that she does not recall her trial testimony, but, you know... We've mentioned before, I have encountered witnesses that have literally forgotten they ever testified, and I believe them. In this case, I'm not so certain. I, I believe that Angela has actually forgotten her trial testimony, and there could be a lot of reasons why Angela would say that, and one of them is that she's possibly fearful of perjury charges. If she were to admit that she did testify on the stand and gave false testimony, well, that would be essentially admitting to a crime.
2: Correct me if I'm wrong, but she just walked into a firestorm too, right? I mean, she wasn't even living there when Brian Boland shot.
0: No. A couple months later, she moved to town and heard about the case. And then a month or two after she moved to town, she had this party that Phil Story and his nephew Kane appeared at.
1: And Smitty. And (laughs) Smitty.
0: And Smitty. And
1: Smitty. Someone sent a message um, to us about when you asked what does Smitty look like and Kane's uncle Says uh, a pile of bones.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and one sort of side point that I got fixated on for a while has to do with the pillow thing and where the origin of Angela Bruce's story came about. How Lee and Kane confessed to putting a pillow over Brian's head before shooting him. And we told her that the pillow in question was a couch cushion. She was like, "What? What? That doesn't make any sense. How would that go over someone's head?" You know, our point exactly, but. I still think what may have happened is that the cops realized before they talked to Angela that the pillow in question did not have a hole all the way through it. It had a hole that only went part way through or something. It's, it's, again, we don't know for sure because there's not really good records here. But I wondered if they got Angela to tell a story about the pillow over the head to explain theoretically how it could have entered partially through the pillow and hit Brian but not exited the whole way.
1: Well, also, I've always wondered, like, if – The confession wouldn't have to be an exact match, would it? I mean, if we don't, Lee wasn't even at this party, but that's the theory that Lee and Kane are at this party and they're confessing. No matter what they say or the details, just them saying they did it would be pretty damning evidence.
0: It would, but the cops would definitely want it to match their theory as much as possible. For me, this is the the big red flag in Angela's story and why it should have caused everyone involved in the case to double take and been skeptical of what she to say is that Everything Angela says in her statement is confirmation of things the cops already knew. She gives a statement that perfectly recaps what the police believe at that point without adding any new information. And that to me is a strong sign that it's a story being repeated based on what the cops have told her. We also had a part that was didn't get included in the episode about how the party actually ended. Now we've mentioned before that Angela's story changes a lot about how it ends. She says at one point that you know the party just wrapped up at 4 a.m. and everyone went home, Kane included. Then she says that she pulled a knife on Lee and Kane to make him leave. Then she says that Caprice pulled up and they, Lee and Kane drove away with her in her little black or blue car. But I asked Kane about how the party actually ended, and here's what he told me.
2: And then the police came went on looking for Randy Ashley.
0: Okay, and that was nothing about nothing, uh, or was that?
2: No, that was something else dealing with. I have no idea what that was.
0: Did you talk to a police officer that night?
2: No. Uh, matter of fact, we left not too long after that.
0: Did Did an officer see you there that night?
2: Yeah, I'm sure he did. Whoever the officer was, was and saw everybody there that night. I'm pretty sure he was.
0: So yeah, we one thing we don't know for sure is exactly how the cops found angela bruce she didn't know she told us she's like someone must have talked or told them about the party i don't know how they found me they just did but given the patrol officer was at the party that night looking for someone else i've wondered if they saw kane there and they passed us on to dallas battle and that's how they got to angela but
1: yeah that makes sense if they noted that hey kane story was at that party we busted up
0: yep that and If there's a report possibly that even describes him being there, that'd be interesting to know. But at this point, we just don't have the full details about how Angela came to be. Um, So, yes, as as we discussed in the episode, Angela's story that she told us is, in terms of figuring out what happened in this case, it's monumental. She was able to clarify what really happened in the investigation and at this party. But for a lot of post-conviction cases, or for all of them really, finding out what really happened is often not the important part legally. Being able to prove what really did happen or even be able to prove innocence in no way guarantees that a defendant will have any success in challenging their their conviction in court. And for a lot of reasons, Angela Bruce's recantation by itself is probably not going to be significant evidence um, without more. Because in Georgia, uh, recanting witnesses are very much disfavored evidence. They're a statement in court under oath is presumed to be true. Um, the only exception is if the witness has been convicted of perjury. Now, this is problematic because it obviously means that people are not likely to come forward to recant or to explain that they lied before if they know that the only way their testimony can be useful or their statement can be useful is if they actually convicted a crime.
1: Wow.
2: But one question I have then is if she were to say that she were coerced into saying something Does that not make a difference with her changing her story?
0: Well, Angela Bruce, by her own mission, is a liar. That's what the court will focus on, is that she says now she lied back then, but why should they believe her now instead of believing what she said under oath?
1: Right, so they won't take her word for it because what she said during the original trial is not true, so why should they believe what she's saying now is true? You would need someone else who would support her.
0: Well, yeah, you would need something more than recantation. So in Georgia, there's a famous case, the uh, Troy Davis case where a man was on death row. And several of the witnesses, eyewitness, came forward to say they made it all up, they recanted their stories, um, so they didn't see him there. And Supreme Court of Georgia ruled that recantations by themselves were not relevant and he was executed. Wow.
2: Every day in America, 60 million packages are delivered
0: We also got a question this week from Josephine Trott. She wrote to say, I'm wondering what the latest 6-3 ruling from the Supreme Court of the United States saying that convictions can't be appealed even if new exculpatory evidence is found means for Lee's and Josh's chances of getting out. What Josephine's referring to is the recent decision uh, released on Monday of this week in Shindy Ramirez. I honestly didn't think this ruling would be issued, even from the current court, which is extremely um, unfavorable towards defendants' rights or towards constitutional protections for criminal defendants. But the ruling in that case has to do with two death row prisoners in Arizona who are challenging their sentences. Um, one of them is challenging it on the grounds of mitigation. The court or the jury did not properly consider the fact that he had mitigating evidence, uh, he had low IQ, he had abuse in his background, and that should have been brought to their attention. Um, the other one has maintained innocence and says he's not guilty of the crime he's committed to committing. Um, and there's some very strong scientific evidence to show that, and that to show that he could not have been the one to cause the injuries that killed the victim in this case. Now, despite the strong evidence of innocence, so the lower court overturned the conviction. Um, Arizona appealed, and it's now before SCOTUS. And Arizona's position in oral arguments before the court was innocence isn't enough, and that under our system, finality matters. There's only so many opportunities that can be given to defendants to try and challenge it. And if a defendant is unlucky enough to have two different sets of bad counsel, that's their problem, and they're not allowed to complain about what occurred to them. So even though there's this strong evidence of innocence that if the jury had known about, they would not have convicted him, um, that doesn't matter because innocence isn't enough and finality is more important. And it'd be an infringement on states' rights for the Supreme Court to um, step in and uphold the trial court's decision to overrule his conviction. Now, this means for Lee and Kane in particular, this particular ruling um, does not currently apply to them. It's a federal case, meaning it applies to cases being appealed to federal courts from state courts. Um, There have been no appeals or no post-conviction proceedings whatsoever for for Lee, so there's nothing that could be appealed up to the the federal courts at this time, but it does indicate that for um, defendants, all over the United States, that they have additional hurdles, or not even hurdle. Hurdle implies is a way past it. That um, they're now barred from raising certain claims of innocence um, if the procedural wins aren't in their favor.
2: Well, that's uplifting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was a really devastating decision, and I think plainly wrong on its face. I think the reasoning is at odds with the statutes. That it, it's it's a shit show of a ruling, to be totally honest, and it's devastating for the defendants it'll apply to, and it indicates that this court is going in a very dark direction. It does very much seem this court will uphold the principle that the states and the federal government have the right to execute an innocent person if they don't meet certain procedural bars about when they can actually assert that. And the fact they're innocent is not enough because they lost the game, they were convicted, they had a chance, and they failed. So the state has the right to kill them or leave them in prison for the rest of their lives. Right.
2: I was reading this article in the Guardian that Jacinda sent me. And, um, the Innocence Project actually released a statement where they say, "Quote: Today's Supreme Court decision makes it much harder to secure justice for wrongfully convicted people." End quote. So they're clearly not excited about
0: it. Either. No, no one is. I mean, the whole like. Criminal defense bar is up in arms about it because it's just that terrible of a ruling. And even though it, this will only apply directly to a, a certain subset of cases that happen to be in this um, procedural posture, um, it's just the greater implications of it suggest that even existing law that's, that's favorable to defendants right now, which is few and far between, if it goes up to appeal um, for the court, they're likely to strike it down. So whatever protections we thought existed, as soon as they are, well, those may not exist either.
1: So Susan, a lot of people wrote in specifically about the last bit of the episode where you're on the phone with Lee and you play a clip of Angela Bruce apologizing to him. And basically, I think she asks, she says, I hope you can forgive me. A lot of people were really touched by that and moved. They, they felt sympathy for Angela too. A lot of people, a couple of people wrote in saying, you know, if your, your children are being threatened, they could understand why she would do that. But the majority of people who wrote in talked about Lee and how heartbreaking it was to hear him finally, after all these years, to hear what he's believed all along be confirmed. So, how I, you know, when you were talking to him on the phone, and how did that make you feel when he's thanking you for finding this?
0: It's hard in this case, and I mean, I almost say all the cases that I work on to not just carry on the sick feeling at times, when you come across something that's so demonstrably wrong. And yes, you can bring it to light, but there's also the knowledge that that doesn't fix things. Um, And Lee knows this as much as anyone. Like, he's well aware that, you know, what happens in course is not what happens in the real world. And that even proof of his innocence would in no way guarantee that he could actually raise a challenge to his conviction. But... Despite knowing that for him, and I guess I hadn't quite anticipated this, it was even if, whether or not it matters legally. It was profound for him to hear her set the record straight because he's been living with her accusation for 25 years, and just to have her say, like, "No, that didn't happen. No, Lee did not do this." To him, was a really powerful moment. Um, and I think, as he acknowledged on the show, like, it was her that stopped his appeal, his direct appeal for Roger's conviction from being successful because the court found that all the evidence of the Freebirds gang, well, all the other evidence of the Freebird, Freebird gang was not admissible. It was invalid, shouldn't come in. Um, but none of that mattered because Angela said it, it happened. Angela said there was a Freebird gang. So therefore, there's there's no reason to concern themselves with the problems in the trial court's rulings.
2: I don't think we can even put ourselves in, in a position to, to imagine what's going through Lee's mind. I mean, we're not sitting there for two and a half decades. And Must have been some victory inside him for maybe people will understand at least now. The thing that stood out to me was I was there when you two told Glenn about Angela Bruce and provided him with this statement. And I remember being sort of shocked at the time because there was not much of a reaction from him. And his response was sort of like, you're not telling me something I don't already know. I know that she lied. And I, I remember that moment being stunning because just because he has the truth, it didn't matter because he, ar- in his mind, he already had the truth, right? He, yeah. already, he already knew. And um, in a way, it was um, didn't change anything in his mind.
0: Yeah, sure. Having it confirmed is great. But like you said, common sense don't mean anything in the courtroom. So yeah. the fact that she said this by itself... I mean, it it just, it's not news to him and there's no guarantees that it will ever help Lee's case. Um, That doesn't mean it won't though. Um, I would caution to note because Angela Bruce is not the only source of information here about what happened. Um, The big hurdle is that This case has all the documents missing, mostly. Um, The DA has lost their entire file. And if what Angela Bruce is saying is true, well, there is likely to be records in there that would confirm it. And those records just don't exist anymore, according to the DA. Um, But that doesn't mean there's not documents somewhere that might support what she had to say. And that would change things significantly.
1: So, you know, the other interesting thing to point out is that, you know, Glenn kind of knew this in his soul. along that Angela was lying and and Lee thought so too. And now that's been confirmed. That's the opposite of what Brian's family has believed and was told all these years. And they've been very open to us, you know, inviting us into their homes and talking to us and they have questions, but up until now, they believe the opposite of what Lee and, and, Glenn believed and I think it's it's been a journey for them as well and it takes a lot of faith and character to let someone kind of reinvestigate a case where a loved one has been murdered um, knowing that what we find might
0: not be what they thought had happened. Just to note no new episode next Monday we're off Memorial Day but we're back the Monday after that with the penultimate episode. In our series on Lee Clark and Kane's story. If you have any questions for future Cyber episodes, don't forget to send them our way through email, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. On all social media, we are Proof Crime Pod. You can find me on Twitter at The Beef Mellow 2 and on Instagram at SOO And you can now find Jacinda on Instagram too at Jacinda Proof.